Welcome to the Kingdom Life Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Jamie Dixon. For more great content, visit klcmaine.com. All right, you guys ready to jump in? All right. If you have your Bibles, go to Romans chapter 8. Thank you guys for, for being brave and standing up. But, um, Romans chapter 8. Okay. Do you guys got 20 minutes for me to kick around an idea? Is that okay? I'm just going to kick it around. Um, last week, I, um, in the midst of the storm, um, with a remnant here and online, um, we, we presented um, an idea. I, I've been really praying into this year, and the Lord spoke to me quite clearly and, and said, uh, 2024 is a year of local awakenings led by hometown revivalists who tend to the family altar. And uh, I really, you know, here we are on a mission Sunday, sending people to the nations, and the Lord began to speak to me about about actually people um, taking ownership of where they've been born and raised and becoming home sent missionaries. And and I and I saw the Lord doing something. You know, I brought up I brought up last week uh, Matthew chapter five, where Jesus did no mighty miracles in his hometown. And I, and I, what I said to us was this: is that that passage is not a promise; it's a warning. Um, it's not a promise that you can't do miracles in your hometown. It's not a promise that God won't move in a hometown, but it's a warning that there's a spirit of familiarity that will try to get you to underestimate what God's able to do in your hometown. And that we're not to bow to a spirit of intimidation that looks like familiarity, but that we would actually be a people that break through the routines, that break through the cycles, that break through the intimidation, and that actually catch, like a, get so caught on fire that we would live where it'd be normal to live, but live in an absolutely abnormal way. That there'd come on a people a radical devotion. And I'm telling you, this is a year where God is actually going to cause people to get so caught on fire that their life is going to turn on a dime and they're going to radically change before your eyes. And we're going, to have to own, we're going to have to be a community that actually goes like, let's go when someone starts to change. Because sometimes when people change, we go like, something's wrong. It won't be what's wrong. It's going to be absolutely right. And it's actually going to be very motivating our community to be like, let's champion and get behind the move of the Holy Spirit on their life right now. That's number one. But number two is this, is that we're, I feel like God wants us to, to crack the code of the spirit of familiarity. And that we become so familiar with our homes that we actually don't make it holy. We become so familiar with our spouses that we actually don't learn how to invite the divine rhythms of life into the marriage relationship. That we become so familiar with our to-do list that we actually uh, become intimidated that our to-do list is actually something that keeps us from pressing onto the things of the Lord and not places where God's inviting us to meet with him like, like Pastor Adam was getting into today. You know, those are actually meeting places with the Lord. And I'm telling you that this is a year that somebody, you know, Sandra, who's known the Lord for 40 years, never missed church a day in her life. She's so faithful in her Bible studies and she's so, so much fruit comes from her life. But guess what? She's gonna get so caught in fire this year that you're gonna be like, 40 years, you've never changed. And all of a sudden you are a wild woman. What happened to you? She's gonna have an encounter with the Lord and she's gonna turn her local church inside out and upside down. And she's gonna begin to see miracles flow out of her life and go, 40 years, what? But she's gonna break the code. She's gonna crack the routine and something radical is gonna come on her life and she's gonna live entirely different. And I'm telling you, that's gonna begin to happen to you and to you and to you and you. It's gonna break out because, because we're gonna crack the code of, 
the spirit of familiarity and the intimidation and start saying the ground where I stand is a holy place and God's gonna move right here, right now and I'm going to see God move in my family and in my place and I don't care what everyone knows about my past. I don't care what everyone thinks of me. I'm gonna lay a hold of heaven and live with a kingdom vision and a radical devotion every single day. And I really feel like this is a word for us and so I have an impromptu sermon series that we're doing. No cool graphic. Um, is it allowed? Um, but we're, we're, I'm just going to just teach over the next few weeks uh, just on these simple ideas about stewarding the fire on the local altar. You know, what, what does it mean to steward the fire right here, right now, everyday life? When you go back to your routine tomorrow, what does it look like to, to actually tend to a radical revival fire in your life? And, and, uh, and, and we're going we're gonna to try. Okay, um, so go to Romans chapter 8. Is that okay? Um, that's, that's what I'm, I'm trying to teach on today. And, and today I want to I wanna teach on uh, walking in the Spirit. But I, I promise you right now I'm going to hit it from a completely different standpoint than you've heard before. Um, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on the account of sin, and he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Heavenly Father, I ask you right now, God, that every human limitation in my mind that's in the way from understanding the life that is in your spirit, Father, would be removed now, that every barrier would be broken. And I pray for the Ephesians 1.17, spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus to rest upon us as we enter into your word right now. I pray that the light bulb would turn on, that revelation and understanding would come. We would not just get doctrine and teaching and word, but God, I pray, Lord, that we would we would consume something that would change us from the inside out today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, I, I think when, we, when, we, you know, when we're presented with the idea of salvation, I think oftentimes the church majors on the byproduct of salvation, but they don't actually teach on the process of salvation. What is it? The process of salvation is not just the forgiveness of sins and then the promise of eternity. Those are the byproducts of salvation, but the process of salvation is that you are born again, you are a new creation. In Romans, it says that if you were buried with, your flesh was buried with him in his death, then you, were, then you also share in new life through his resurrection. Um, you know, in John 3, 6, Jesus said, uh, it actually, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is the spirit. Salvation is the process of the Holy Spirit, the spirit of the living God, the spirit of the creator of the heavens and the earth, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same spirit that rested over the waters, the same spirit that was on Jesus when he walked in the flesh. The same spirit, the spirit of the living God, the spirit of the king of kings, the alpha and the omega, who's the beginning and the end. The spirit of the living God is, is the, the full glory of the father, has shattered every separation between God and man. He's torn down every barrier and he has taken residence on the inside of you. This is salvation, that the Holy Spirit, the spirit of living God is living and dwelling inside of you. Um, in Revelation chapter four, it says there's a door standing open in heaven. I, I, I shared this um, in communion last week, and 
you know, it kind of, it just felt like it went over people. And so I'm going to do it again. Um, it says that when Jesus died on the cross, that the Roman soldiers pierced the side of Jesus and it opened a wound on his side. And when that wound on his side was open, out of that wound flowed blood and water, which is a, a prophetic fulfillment. And, and blood and water flowed from his side. And, and many theologians have actually related the, the flow of blood and water from the side of Jesus as, as a parallel to a woman's womb who's giving birth. And the out of, out of the idea is this, is that you've been born again. That if you were buried with him in death, you've actually been alive together with him in resurrection. In John 3, 6, that is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And that when Jesus' wound became a womb, that your spirit man, that your, that your spiritual identity, you as a new creation were born from the very womb of the wound as of his side. And, and it has this idea that that, that wound, that open wound, that wound that never healed, that stayed open, that, that is the wound that, that doubting Thomas said, I'd have to see the wounds and touch them myself. He actually put his hand into the wound of Jesus and cried out, my God, my Lord, when he touched the wound, his hand went in him. That wound that never closed is a parallel to Revelation chapter four, that now there's a door standing open in heaven. And that door that's standing open in heaven is Jesus himself. It is the open wound of Jesus that opened the doorway and for you to become not of flesh, but of spirit. That you'd be born again as a new creation, that you were born from the wounds in his side. And that when in Revelation chapter four, it goes, and now there's a door standing open in heaven and the voice of him cries out, come up here, come up now. And immediately I was in the spirit. That invitation, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. He's the open door. And, and you, could, you could almost hear the voice of the father crying out from the wound in his side, come up here and come up now. Because salvation is not just eternity that we're waiting for. It's actually an ever-present reality that you are not flesh, but you are born of the Spirit. And eternity doesn't start in death. It starts in the moment the Holy Spirit takes residence in your life. You become born of the Spirit, born again, a new creation. There's a door standing open in heaven. You've entered in through the gateway of his wounds, and you've become a new creation, and you live from an entirely different reality than all flesh lives from. Does this make sense? In Ephesians 1.13, it says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. It literally means the down payment of eternity is the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. The spirit of a living God, it says that when Jesus died on the cross, he gave up his, his last breath and he breathed and he gave up his spirit. And then he appeared again to his disciples after the resurrection and he goes, now come to me. And he gathers disciples and he goes, now receive my spirit. And he breathed on them and he breathed on the disciples. And then it says that he said, now wait for it. Because the Holy Spirit's not in you, but, when the whole, but if you wait for it, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll be endued with power from on high. And it says in Acts chapter 2 that they were waiting on the Lord in the upper room. And all of a sudden, a ruach, 
it said they translate it as wind, but that word is not wind, it's breath. The, the manifest presence of God manifests in the room. The very breath that was given on the cross, the very breath breathed on the disciples to take residence in them is the very breath that now breathes upon them and empowers the disciples for kingdom works. It, it, it's, it's, the, it's the very spirit of a living God. Salvation is the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that now invites us to and fosters relational union with the eternal Godhead. Your new creation identity has been awakened to the ever-present reality of the spiritual realm. When you receive the Holy Spirit as a seal of the guarantee of eternity, that the Spirit of Christ dwells now inside of you, you woke up. And what did you wake up to? The reality of the eternal presence of God. You woke up to the reality of the spirit realm of heaven. You woke up to the very spiritual essence of God himself. The very real reality. The, the, the very real evidence that God is here and he is present. You were awakened as a new creation to the reality of God. And that the, the presence of the Holy Spirit now dwelling inside of you is a continuous witness of the presence of God in the reality of God, in the character of God, in the nature of God, in the ways of God, operating and moving from inside you, working the very character and nature of God from the inside out. Does this make sense? In Galatians 5.22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, and long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You know, I know that this is, this is like the fruit of the Spirit. I mean, that's like... That's kids, children's, you know, Bible study, right? But the reality is this, that I feel like we've missed it from just the familiarity with the verse. We've missed the weight and the depth of it because the fruit of the Holy Spirit is not just some outward manifestation of behavior. It's actually the character of God manifesting in your life because of the internal reality of living in the Spirit. It is actually the character of Christ. It's the character of God, the nature of God, and the personality of God. That he is occupying your internal worldview and your internal perspective. And he's actually manifesting his character and nature through you. And when it says it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit, what it's saying is it's evidence of the internal dwelling of God inside of you. Is that when you show up, the character of Christ shines through your life. Because the reality is, is I don't have a lot of self-control. But when I live and walk in the Spirit, the character of God shines through my life and I have self-control. The reality is I'm not a gentle person. No, for real, I'm not. Like I took a person, like the first time I ever took this personality test, my historical figure was Attila the Hun. That is not a joke, that's real. And then I got married and had children and I took it again. And I came out as Paul the Apostle. But you go, oh, that's great. Paul was just Attila the Hun saved. I mean, he was just as aggressive. <laughs> he was just as intense and aggressive, right? And, and the, 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 I'm not a gentle person, but guess what? 
When I live in the Holy Spirit and I'm walking with the Holy Spirit, there is a personality that is not bound to my personality that comes out of my life and I'm able to be gentle even though it is against my nature to be gentle. Why? Because it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The evidence of the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit of God is the internal work of the character and nature of the Holy Spirit. When I am in continual fellowship and submission to the work of the Holy Spirit in me, the character and nature of Christ shines through my life. So to walk in the Spirit is to live in the ever-present awareness of the indwelling Spirit of God who is at work with me. And, and, and for us to understand that there's the Holy Spirit dwelling in you is consistently and constantly beckoning you into stewardship and fellowship of this union with Christ. That, G, that the Father sent His Son, not just to seal your eternity, but to break the barrier between God and man, to actually, to actually fulfill the old covenant so that He could restore a new covenant that would bring in you into relational union, to take you places that you weren't ever allowed to go, where God was beyond you and now He's within you. That what Jesus said, it's better for you that I go to the disciples. He goes, don't go, our ministry's just taking off, it's so powerful. And he goes, no, 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 it's better for you that I go. What was He saying? He was saying that this human limitation of God being in your midst but not dwelling inside of you. It's not close enough. And he goes, what you don't understand is that if I go, I'll send you the Holy Spirit. And what will he do? He will actually, he'll break the appetite of sin and, 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 and he will destroy the, the, the constructs of the flesh and he will transform the way that you think so that you can live in unbroken union with God as a foretaste of what eternity will really be like. You will get it here and in the now. And I will not dwell among you, I will now dwell in you. And now the Holy Spirit's ministry is constantly bringing you back into fellowship with God because that is eternal, that is the price the blood of Jesus paid for, is to bring you into unbroken union with God, which is the original intent for man's creation. So walking in the Spirit is living in the intentional and ever-present awareness of the indwelling Spirit of God who's at work within me. It is to live from the inside out. The Spirit of God within me would be the source and the author of all of my movements. That It is to host the presence of God and steward my fellowship with Him. It's to actually live in continual fear of the Lord. And the fear of the Lord is not fear of His anger. It's fear of disconnection. It's, 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 it's the fear of, I'm not afraid of my wife, but I'm afraid of ever causing a disconnect with my wife. And that fear changes the way that I live to foster my union with her. It's honor. Romans 5.8, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, they set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. That literally means is against, it withstands, it resists, it pushes back. It is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor can it be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You know, the reality is this, is that God created the human being to operate from the inside out. He created you to. And you will either operate from the flesh or you will operate from the spirit. What do I mean by that? I, I just sat down with um, our police chief uh, in Oakland, our, our PD, and, and um, we were just talking and and uh, just checking in how everything's going and life and culture and society, how, how things are affecting him. And he took a deep sigh. He's like, oh, 
It's never been this bad. Um, time, timing is everything there. Um, for those who didn't hear it, the siren is, is going off. Um, it says, violence has never been higher. Suicide's never been higher. Drug use has never been higher. We are so busy, I can't, we can't handle it. And he goes, I'm sure you're the same thing. I'm like, yeah, my office has never been busier, you know? And, um, and we we're talking about it, and, and I said, what is going on? And he goes, it's a mental health. It's a mental health issue. And he was lamenting because there's so much compassion. Like, we don't want to come in and just deal with crime. Like, we want to fix the mental health issue, and that's not our job, you know? And we're kind of going back and forth on that. I was telling my wife about it, and she goes, oh, man, there's a sociologist named Max Strom, and, and he says this. He says, we don't have a mental health issue. We have an emotional health issue. And, and the reality is, is that people aren't mentally sick. They're emotionally disconnected and broken. And, and it's, it's, it's bringing society to their knees that people actually don't know how to process disappointment and hurt and pain and all these different things. Why? Because the flesh leads to death. It, it, is, it is against the ways of the Lord. But the reality is this, is that God created us to live from the inside out. And if God created us to live in the inside out, if it's broken and disconnected and disjointed and it's suffering from the inside out, then our reflections will actually, our, our movements will reflect the internal condition of our life. And so we should be looking at the world with great compassion right now because, because the reality is this, is that the brokenness of the world is, is, is connected to the condition of the inner man. And we have an emotional health crisis on our hands. And, but the reason why this is all happening before us is because we were not created to, to live from the mind of the flesh. We, God created us. With, with, a, with a need to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit and to allow him to actually author the movements of our life from the internal world. And that we'd actually live in fellowship and union with God. <clears throat> um, those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. Um, that word mind is actually this inner perspective and worldview, living from an inner reality that's been shaped by the flesh or by the spirit. Living in the spirit causes us to live from the potential of the spiritual realm, but living from the, lesh, the flesh causes us to live from the limitations of the flesh. And, and the reality is this, is, is that we're, we're called to not see the rest of the world the way that everybody else sees the world. We're actually not supposed to live from the limitations of the flesh, but the possibilities and potential of the spirit. And the reality is we, we look at everything going on in life and we're shaken to our core because we're living from the limitation of the flesh. How is this going to resolve itself and what's going to happen? We all look at what's going on in Israel and we go like, oh no, and we have worry. But I'll tell you what, people that are thinking in, with understanding in the eyes of the spirit understand that although that it's an injustice and although it's difficult, that there is an expectation that the justice of the Lord will actually look like an increased um, expansion of God's promises in the nation of Israel. Why? because I'm not looking at it with the flesh. I'm looking at it in the spirit. And, and I say, finish what you started, God. You know, the, the, the potential of what you are going to do and the difficulties. Someone talks to me about what's going on with like, the doctor's report and all this different stuff. And I go, whoa, this is going to be so fun watching the testimony of God. I wonder how many people it's going to impact in your family. And I'm, I'm thinking differently than you're thinking. We're worried. How's this going to go? And I'm thinking, how far is this kingdom going to reach to the testimony of your life? Why? Because I'm living and thinking from, from the mind of the spirit, not the mind of the flesh. Galatians 5 says, if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the, lust of the flesh. 
If you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know, I, I think we have a lot, too many people that are trying to solve addiction and pornography and lust, all these different things. They're trying to solve it from the outside in and not the inside out. The problem isn't that we have screens and access. That's not the problem. The problem is, is we have too many bored men and women that are not living from the realm of the spirit, burning on fire and zeal for the presence of the Lord that's crushing the appetite of their flesh and out of their boredom, they're stewarding an addiction, looking for a high that they were created to get from the walking with the spirit and if we get men on fire for the things of the lord i'm telling you it'll crucify the lust of flesh why because you are if you walk in the spirit you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh we have a fellowship problem are you guys okay i'm I'm wrapping up um the key to living in the spirit is as, as shared in Romans chapter 8, is the key to living the Spirit is intentional awareness, a disciplined, a disciplined mind on the things of God. What does it say? It says, that, it says um, we do not war with flesh and blood, okay? But what does it say? But we, we, we tear down strongholds and principalities. How? By taking every thought captive and bringing obedience to Jesus Christ. That the internal world and what we're thinking of and what we're disciplining our minds around will actually cause spiritual implications on our life. That, and, and, and so what I want to get into really fast for the sake of time is I want to look at just these three very practical ways. I'm not going to teach on them. I'm just going to like fire them at you. Is that okay? Three really practical ways about stewarding your fellowship with the Holy Spirit and living in union with God and walking in the Spirit every single day because I'm telling you that if we're going to see hometown revivalists, spiritual awakening, it's going to be people that are caught up in the Spirit and having unbroken union and fellowship with God and going on spiritual adventures with the Lord right where they stand. Okay? Practical ways. I feel like I'm going so fast. Okay, some practical ways of walking in the Spirit. Number one, we have to break down the, the divide between sacred and secular. We have to break the divide between sacred and secular inviting the divine practices and rhythms into our secular settings. Um, we, we have portioned out our life in such crazy ways that we're not familiar with the interaction of the Holy Spirit in secular settings. Um, we're, we're so, we love to feel the Holy Spirit in worship here because our minds are just engaged. Oh, there he is. Did you know that you feel God here not because worship attracts him, but it actually disciplines your mind on his glory? presence that's always here you just become aware what we have to do is learning how to practice awareness in secular places which means that we actually have to take divine rhythms and bring them into secular settings it doesn't mean that we just need to think we know we need to actually go in secular settings and learn how to worship we actually have to learn how to engage secular settings and invite the divine practices in our life. You know, one of, the, um, one of the things that I've been very careful of is actually not to preach and teach um, like quiet times during the day. And the reason why I don't is not because I don't believe in quiet times. Like you need to get your quiet time with the Lord. I actually don't teach that because uh, because I don't want us to create event-based devotion where we have separated places with the Lord and then we check out of that place and then we go back to normal. I actually want the continuous rhythm of devotion and fellowship with the Lord to actually break through the moments and actually bleed into everything in my life, which means I want to learn how to fellowship with the Lord, not 
for 15 minutes in the morning before I have breakfast, but I want to learn how to fellowship with the Lord in the interactions of my workplace. I actually want to pray in the spirit around my kids. And I want to just walk through the house and sing to the Lord. And I, I want to actually like invite prayer into difficult moments with my spouse. And I actually want to go to work and I want to actually take my lunch break maybe and just like worship the Lord or find places to invite his presence. Or I mean, like when I, when I worked at Sherwin-Williams, man, I would, you know, as a teenager, dude, I would, ru- I would be like, it got crazy and people are fighting and I'd be like, I have to go to the bathroom. And I'd like run to the bathroom and I'd go, just inviting the presence of the Lord to come. And guess what would begin to happen? Things would begin to change. Opportunities for the gospel would get created, you know? And I do remember one time I actually locked the door because I had a girl in the office I was working with, had a prophetic dream, encountered the Lord. I was leading her to Jesus and I saw contracts pulling up and I locked the door and they couldn't get in so I could lead her to the Lord first. <laughs> you know, like... We have to break down this divide of sacred and secular and invite the divine practices and rhythms of the Lord into the workplace and into the rhythms of our life. Number two is we have to create worship as a rhythm, not as an event. Worship is a constant state of awareness of his glory, not a singular event. What we do here on Sunday should be practiced for what you're doing in the rest of the week. It's one of the most powerful ways to submit the flesh to the spirit, to disengage the mind from the carnal and put it on the spirit. Worship disciplines my imagination around his glory. One of the reasons why you guys come in here and you're like all worked up and then you go into worship and you start to worship the Lord and then all of a sudden, (gasps) clarity of mind comes, (gasps) peace comes, joy comes, all these different things. And you're like, ah, and then you leave and the floodwaters of anxiety come rushing back. It's because in this moment is actually what you're supposed to constantly be living from. But, But unfortunately, Unfortunately, in life, it's become the event you look forward to. And it's not supposed to be the tank that we draw from through the rest of the week. It's supposed to be a practice place for us to learn how to do this all day, every day, and engage in the same place. Why do you think that we're constantly up here trying to help navigate what God is doing in the room? Hey, do you feel this? This is what he's doing. Hey, I'm inviting you to this. Hey, lift your hands and do this. We're actually trying to disciple the room and how to actually do this out of here. Does that make sense? And it's supposed to be a rhythm. It's not supposed to be an event. And it's supposed to actually call your attention. Guess what? Your flesh dies every time you look at his glory. And so worship will discipline the imagination to his glory. Number three is faith. And I want to be really careful how I say this because faith is not just believing. It's doing something that you believe in. And it says that faith comes by hearing of the word and the word of the Lord, right? And it says in Hebrews chapter four, the word of God is a two-edged sword that divides between soul and spirit. And so when we start talking about living from faith, we're actually not just talking about living this risky life of devotion to the Lord. We're actually talking about living from biblical instruction. And you cannot live from faith without without a devotion to the word of God. But guess what? You don't get rewarded for reading the word. You get rewarded for doing the word. And, 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 the, uh, and, and the reality is this, is that we, we have to be a people who, who are, are not just reading it for doctrine's sake, but we're reading it for the consumption and the transformation of the way that we think and operate so that we can live from faith, that we can actually live in radical ways. Our minds should become so renewed in the word of the Lord that when I have a financial need, my first thought is to look to give away. Why? Because the word of God has changed the way that I think and my mind is not in the flesh, it's on the spirit. And in the spirit, in order to receive, I have to give. Do you understand that a renewed mind like, like looks for opportunity to heal the sick? 
The renewed mind actually loves sinful, broken people and is not wrestling in anger towards them. And, and, and if we understood this, we would probably operate less from offense and more from the faith of like love, that I have faith that if I love this person well and not be offended with them, that this will bring healing to the relationship and a gospel opportunity will be created. And that takes an act of faith, but faith doesn't come just from like stories and testimonies. Faith comes from the hearing of the word of God and it divides between soul and spirit. And if you want to live a risky life of faith, you've got to become so aware and so transformed by the contents of this of this book that it actually changes the way that you think from the inside out. We got to get hungry for this and to realize this is a source of life because life comes from walking in the spirit and this is where walking in the spirit comes from. It's taking this and living out of faith from it, transforming the way that you think and you operate. Stand with me.